Hi, it's Victoria Stapleton from the Little Brown School and Library podcast. Recently, I had a chance to sit down with Clay Smith, editor-in-chief of Kirkus Reviews magazine, to talk about reviewing in a new age of online reviewing and social media. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Race does play such um, a role in what books get attention. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, um, let's say the Barbara King solvers of the world mm-hmm. um, or Hanya Yanagihara. Uh, you know, it, it, it can be, for example, Kara Hyacin in the adult world is uh, very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people buy his books. But if you look at those books, they're very well plotted. They're very thoughtful. Um, and they're very funny. So taste, I just love the permutations of taste. But I think also the intent of where that book is supposed to sit in the landscape and what the social function of that book is. Um, yeah. You, Kirkus, and by the way, we're alive now. Okay. A few months ago, Kirkus gave a starred review to a, a lovely book called Phantom Wheel. It's a mm-hmm. thriller. It's a mm-hmm. teen hacking thriller. Yeah. It does not claim right. to be Tolstoy. Yeah. And it, it got a star review. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. A few weeks later, we get another review. That's not like <laughs> the particular book. Yeah. As well. Right. Had, had some issues with it. Right. Which I, as a publisher, I'm always saying to editors, you look, put your big girl panties on. <laughs> you let the book out into the wild. People right. are going to read it. Yeah. So the editor comes to me and says, well, And the second gave... book was a thriller also. Oh, no. Or... It was a literary, it was literary book. Okay. It had aspirations. Yeah. Okay. The editor came to me and said, but they gave a star to Phantom Wheel. And I said, they are evaluating Phantom Wheel and what it is doing. Yeah. It is successful. It's exceptionally successful for what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the phrase you use for what it is, is so crucial because we work really hard, not just as a Kirkus, but all, all book critics should be doing this, you know, taking the book for what it is trying to be. You know, mm-hmm. you don't assign the most literary novel to someone, to a reviewer who just loves thrillers yeah. and knows the thriller landscape and knows what. Uh, makes up for a good thriller. Um, that's really irresponsible assigning as as a book editor. So that's step one. Well, I will go back. The first thing is that the book has to, the galley has to arrive to Kirkus in time. Yes. And that is so crucial. We are often the first people to review a book. Yes. Um, and there are books that we have to not review that we should totally be reviewing because we just don't get them. And there is, of course, the publisher has things that, you know, make it difficult to get us. And as time. I will say, as the person who packs your boxes <laughs> frequently with my own hands, mm-hmm. uh, it is interesting. You know, we send out our galleys twice a year. We do our yeah. galleys in batches to save money. Okay. So we just let, we're drowning last week. If you've been here in all the spring material, oh, right. and that got a very quick turnaround. Mm-hmm. But sometimes there are things that occur late. Yeah. Uh, I just sent out over to you guys a Malala chapter book mm-hmm. that. We did not get a galley, but we had to see mm. the finish. So mm-hmm. you have to sort of, you know, accept. And yeah. then people are like, why don't I have a review? And I'm like, did you get your book done on time? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well then. Right. But I like what you're talking about with matching the reviewer to the material. Yeah. I think often, especially for Kirkus, people are thinking, they are just the crankiest bitches ever. <laughs> And as somebody who qualifies for that term, I'm sympathetic <laughs> to it. But I do right. like the idea that you're trying to create a sympathetic mm-hmm. an opportunity for the book. You're not out to get the book yeah. from the beginning. You're looking for that sympathy of reading experience. 
You know, I think that the best criticism um, often results when um, it, it's clear that the critic wanted to love the book but felt mm-hmm. let down by certain aspects of it. You know, it's a, a good critic doesn't go into an assignment to review a book wanting to get that book or get that writer. That's totally unethical. Yeah. Um, so... You know, it's it's crucial that the reviewer at least be receptive to the material, as we mm-hmm. say. Um, so that's, I mean, we have such a vast array of critics, um, and I mean, and, and particularly in YA and children's, mm-hmm. it can get very niche and very detailed. You know, maybe there's someone who loves. I mean, as you know, for a while, paranormal romance in YA was a big deal, um, or at least becoming a bigger deal. Maybe not so much anymore, but we had people who love that, mm-hmm. and we still do. Um, it's not for everyone. I but... still don't get the whole vampire thing, and I've had yeah. people explain it to me. In fact, <laughs> I proposed a panel at Allen, the Allen Workshop yeah. at NCTE, and the title was, What's with the Blood Sucking? <laughs> That's a great title. Not one person on that panel could explain what's with the blood sucking. Really, yeah. And I'm like, it's wow. not just about sex. Come on. That's that's gross. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, in the adult world, um, there's going to be this novel coming out in a few weeks, Dracul, D-R-A-C-U-L. Mm-hmm. And it's written by the great grandnephew of Bram Stoker. <laughs> um, okay. So you don't have to read adult books, I guess, but um, for, at least for your job. But <laughs> you are allowed to. But uh, there's more of it coming yeah. is my um, unfortunate warning to you. It says the it's time is not a flat circle. It's a <laughs> tightly packed spiral. Yeah, and the reading time is also. I, I'm assuming you read on weekends and nights, like I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's um, go back a little bit. How long have you been editor in chief at Kirkus? Um, I've been editor in chief since late 2013. I am have been at publishing long enough to remember an earlier version of Kirkus yeah. that did not have pictures on the front. Right. And there was no color yeah. inside, on the front or inside the magazine. And, and the paper. The, and the paper. Um, and um, the children's reviewers number five. Mm. And you were not supposed to know who they were, but I knew who right. two of them were. Right. And I could pretty much guess who wrote that. Right. Damn you, John Peters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then Kirkus... Uh, Went away yeah. for about two weeks. Yeah. And then it was re- magically resurrected yeah. almost into a new world of yeah. reviewing. So reviewing is changing. The place of Kirkus is changing. Books are changing. Publishing is changing. But I think reviewing and where people get an idea of how to spend their money and why to spend their money is changing. So can you talk a little bit to us a little bit how you see yeah. the place of Kirkus in that landscape, mm-hmm. the why of it? Yeah. Um, and you're right, Kirkus has totally changed. Um, it did used to be a very stiff, um, no images at all magazine, um, mm-hmm. just review after review after review. Um, and now it's quite different. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, one of the fascinating things about working at Kirkus is that uh, we're really this hybrid creation. Because mm-hmm. if you get the magazine, um, you know, it's a small circulation, about 5,000 or so. Mm-hmm. And uh, it goes to really industry professionals, librarians. Um, educators, um, bookstore people, um, some people in Hollywood who are looking for adaptation ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Whereas the website has a very thin paywall, and it's really open, almost all of it, to the uh, to the public at large. And there is where we do, that's where we interact with the public. Mm-hmm. So all these lists of books that you should be reading, um, you know, the podcast lives on the site, um, the reviews are all very accessible. Um, and so I love that hybrid nature of my job, where in print, I feel like I'm communicating to librarians and booksellers and on site, it's, you know, your average reader who may just want to know what should I be reading next. Uh, because it, 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 it flexes different parts of my brain and uh, keeps things kind of innovative and fresh. So I really love that about it. Um, but, I mean, Kirkus, you know, we do pride ourselves on often being the first people to review a book. Mm-hmm. And so one thing that we look for when we hire new critics is confidence because... Yeah. Even if the review, even if a book is being reviewed, let's say at the Wall Street Journal or New York Times Book Review on pub date, um, and this is true of children's and adult, uh, there is already a conversation happening about that. Book. Yeah. But at the point where Kirkus is reviewing it, there's no conversation. Um, there may be, you know, um, promotional stuff from you or the publicist um, about it. But then, of course, the reviewer just has to spend their own time with the book. And so we're looking for someone who knows, as, as you were saying, like if they're an expert on, th- on thrillers, like they really need to be an expert on thrillers because yes. there's no one else to check with. Um, and then, of course, our editors have to be experts in all the different um, genres, let's say. Jill's of all trades. Except yeah. for Eric. That's right. Jack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, so that's a really nice part of the job. I mean, one of the things that I was hired to do is really sort of open up Kirkus because what had happened was that you all as publishers would send us your galleys. Um, They would go into the mysterious Kirkus machine um, and, you know, whatever it was, two months later or whatever, we would issue our review. And it was really sort of a one-way conversation. You all sent the books. We did the review, that was it. Mm-hmm. And now we do a ton of interviews. Um, we have the podcast. Uh, we do this weekly newsletter. You know, we're just interacting with you all in much more vibrant ways. And so I have been trying, you know, um, to make Kirkus really a part of um, the publishing scene. I really enjoy the two aspects of it, reading the reviews, but I do like going to the website mm-hmm. and seeing uh, buy it, borrow it, skip it, yeah. which can seem reductive, right. but I think more than any other journal, your connection to the consumer causes you to be more immediate in appreciating whether money should be spent. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I, I, I won't say which review this is, but I read a review yesterday, um, not in Kirkus, but at another outlet. Um, where the reviewer basically, um, you know, was talking about what is in that book Mm -hmm. and kind of recited all the, the, um, prominent points. Yeah, it's a yada yada. But there was no, there were no adjectives. Like, is the book any good? Yes. And so that's something we're very, you know, it's very paramount for us that, um, should you buy this book or not? Should you buy it if you're a librarian for your collection? Are there other books that are just like this book Mm -hmm. that, maybe do a better job of what this book is trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a consumer who is going to a bookstore or a website to buy a book, uh, and it's the 17th in a series, um, which 
does happen. Thrillers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> is just going to read that book yeah. because they read the 16 prior. But a librarian or a bookseller doesn't really have to do that. No. And so, you know, that's who we're writing for first. And then uh, we want to make sure the consumers appreciate our reviews too. There are so many different types of reviewing. Yeah. going on now. I mean, you know, Booklist, SLJ, Hornbook, they all have their different little ways of talking about books. There's a lot of yeah. yada yada book reviews. <laughs> There's a lot of evaluation reviews. There's a lot of reader's advisory reviews. Alongside of all of that, uh, now you have things like Goodreads mm-hmm. or the Twitter situation, which I find deeply fascinating just mm-hmm. as someone who looks at the social aspect of reading, the social aspect of reviewing yeah. is fascinating to me. And the new sources of reading authority. I mean, back when Moses parted mm. the Red Sea and I was a young child uh-huh. with a fresh liver, uh, <laughs> there were in my area those, the, the seven, Voya, Booklist, PW, Kirkus, SLJ, Hornbook, and there was something called Five Owls that Bill okay. Morris you know, yeah. insisted on propping up. And Clyat. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> this yeah. is, yes, yes, I am that old. I remember Clyat <laughs> uh, in real time. Uh, and you didn't really have anything else. It was those seven, and it, you lived or died by that. But now you have people like the Nerdy Book Club or We Need Diverse Books or Goodreads or and tw- just all these different types of reviewing and authority. How mm. do you locate Kirkus? within that landscape and and really try to fight for your authoritative authorial no that's not a good word but i think you know what i'm getting at yeah the prominence that we've always sort of had i mean we've been around for 85 years this mm-hmm. is actually our 85th year um and the founding of kirkus is fascinating we could do a whole other episode on oh, that we could uh, oh it is a great story virginia <laughs> <laughs> but we will not um you know, I we we think that you know more sources of people talking about mm-hmm. books, more platforms for them to talk about books is actually great because um, we're confident in the place that we hold and that we have held for mm-hmm. so many years. Um, and so, people talking on blogs or um, on Amazon uh, and Goodreads um, is ultimately good, I think, mm-hmm. because it just means that more people are invested in books now. Has the landscape with social media changed so drastically that Kirkus has had to adapt? Yes. Um, and so we have an active program where um, if a book gets a really positive review and it's by a prominent writer, we are tweeting out that review mm-hmm. um, on the day of the book's pub date, not the day that we publish the review. And that's a crucial distinction because... We want the rest of the world who hadn't been able to buy the book before mm-hmm. it's available to know what we think. Um, and, and we get conversations, you know, that happen with people on Twitter around what we say about those books. Um, so that's one way. Um, but, uh, and then there's a, there's whole other divisions of Kirkus that I don't really have very much to do with Kirkus Editorial, Kirkus Indie, mm-hmm. and they're, you know, active on social media too. So we're, we feel like we're um, we're surround sounding people <laughs> online about the Kirkus. I really am very fascinated because I'm I am the person who gets whether it's your reviews or booklets or whatever. The only and because I'm an obsessive 
and I used to work on a very prominent author's book, so I'm a little bit of a maniac about oh. their reviews. Mm-hmm. I know when PW posts on Friday afternoon, and oh, I right. used to see those on Thursday. Uh-huh. I'm not supposed to say that because that uh. was wrong. <laughs> I, the PDFs right. <laughs> versions. Yeah. Uh, I'm fascinated by how reviewers decide to present their evaluation and how mm-hmm. much of themselves mm-hmm. they put into that. Uh, your YA review editor and mm. your children's review editor yeah. uh, know <laughs> what's gonna what's gonna get a phone call from me, right. and and sadly your <laughs> review editor has been on the job for less than a year, and she does already know yeah. what's gonna get a phone call from me. Right. I'm I'm very interested because social media is so much more personal as the personality mm. of the reviewer. Yeah. What's the balance for Kirkus putting the personality, allowing the personality of the reviewer their specific likes, dislikes, politics, morality, psychologies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, this, this is a great question because Kirkus, if people, maybe there's someone who doesn't know, our reviews are unsigned. Mm-hmm. Um, and so first person is not something that we do. So the voice isn't personal in that strict sense. There are many ways to have a personalized voice without first person. Mm-hmm. And that's what um, I think makes the best reviews. Um, if it's not some dry book report, that is uh, regurgitating what happens in the book, and then maybe one final line that has one adjective about whether the book is any good. No, that's not what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, What we want is some kind of perspective from the reviewer, even if you don't know that reviewer's name. Mm -hmm. And just so that people understand, I mean, we we don't, um, we've had anonymity for so, so long. I, I I mean, really, when Virginia Kirkus started it, it was she called it the Kirkus Bulletin, mm-hmm. and you could tell that she wrote them all. Um, but for ever since then, we've been anonymous, and the reason for that was so that publicists, at literary uh, publishers, can't um, influence our uh, reviewers and try to get them to say really sweet things about their books. Um, so, uh, and people, because people ask me this all the time, yeah. why are they unsigned? And so that, that's the basic reason. Yeah, I know other people are just like, well, they should just take responsibility for what they say about the book. And I'm like, well, they do because they could get fired for not writing good reviews. I mean, right. I just, I do have to think constructively. I try as a publisher to be very light. Yeah, with your With my feedback. complaints. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I think, uh, you know, there's been a couple of cases recently where I'm just like, really? <laughs> Are you sure you want to say that? Right. Come on. Come <laughs> on. But I always preface this by saying, I don't expect you to suddenly like the book. Right. I don't expect you to change the fundamental recommendation mm-hmm. of the book or not. I, yeah. I admit that I get very sensitive about whether a reviewer is conveying a judgment mm-hmm. about the morality of characters mm-hmm. because I just don't. That's not yeah. what a reviewer should be doing, No, in I, my opinion. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, th- there was this interesting case maybe late last week with um, E.B. Zaboy's new mm-hmm. novel and the review in the Wall Street Journal. Oh, God, that woman. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, I said that. That would be an example, I would think, of the reviewer. Oh, very much so. You know, taking Megan Cox Gardens. Yeah, sort of judging the character's morality, and that's just bad criticism because it it shows that you're not reckoning with the book. 
it also, and I went back and read the review, I'm like, well, now you also did not read Pride and Prejudice correctly. Right. Because a less romantic book. Yeah. But again, that's how readers over generations have responded to that and remade that book in their own yeah. image. I'm just like, read that book. Right. That is a remarkably unsentimental yeah. piece of business. Mm-hmm. So oh. reading that whole situation and then books are social. Stories are social animals. They are social yeah. creations. And I didn't quite understand in that case why E.B. Zoboy can't rewrite the book mm-hmm. in her image. Right. And I mean, let me, let me say I don't love personally being involved in the middle of yeah. fights about this kind of thing. But they do reveal so much about our culture yeah. and about the fights that we are having about equality for all and diversity. Mm -hmm. And those are vital discussions. And this is why book criticism is not just something that, you know, is practiced in the ivory tower. I mean, it's part of our daily lives and maybe not everyone in this country reads books, but for the people who pay attention to reviews, this is crucial stuff. I love that you said that. No, because I really, it's, so school and library marketing is that very strange hybrid between yeah. retail consumer marketing and publicity right. where we are talking to people about, well, what is the larger ecology mm-hmm. of books that there are so many, you, the book has to fight for its place on the space. It has to fight for its place in, in each imagination mm-hmm. and it changes yeah. based on each reading. Um, before I was in publishing, I was doing, graduate work in another area working with very old stories that have mm-hmm. transformed over time quite radically and you can see how that changes yeah but that's story by story reaction to story by reaction to story which right. is really where kirkus is there it's beginning yeah. the process of reaction because it's often as you say the first review yeah so we we're often, I wouldn't say often, but we are sometimes in the middle of those controversies. Yeah. You know? So that's, you know, interesting place to be. But we try to be very diversity forward, and not everybody wants that. I mean, I get emails um, saying, why are you saying in your review of this picture book that all the characters are white? Well, because they are. Because they are. In a sense, it's reporting. I mean, a lot of people don't understand that the basis of really good criticism comes from good reporting. Yes. And noting what is happening in the book. Um, in a, not AP style kind of dry reporting, but, you know, an interesting reporting on the book. Um, and we think it's crucial for, uh, not just librarians and booksellers, but for the general public or parents who are looking for, um, books for their children to understand where they can see their own children's lives reflected in books. Um, and so we note uh, these diversity categories for, for our readers. And I've come around to that, although initially mm-hmm. I was like, well, aren't you just giving people the chance to opt out? Right. <laughs> yeah. Which I don't. I have opinions about that. But that's another <laughs> podcast, as they say, gentle <laughs> listeners. I don't want to ask about any specific um Controversy because ultimately I don't actually think each individual controversy in itself is that interesting, Mm -hmm. to be honest with you. I'm more interested in the longer term of Mm -hmm. how the reverberations of these specific controversies play out over time and 
having had you before you were at Kirkus, you were part of the Texas Book Festival. Yeah. You have a long career in books and reading and how people are involved in books. Mm-hmm. Have the whether you've been involved in the controversy or observed the controversy from the sideline, has that changed your perspective on what you do at Kirkus? You know, refine, change course radically, maybe mm-hmm. just confirmed you and like, yeah, that intuition was pretty good. Yeah. Well, there is a debate going on about unvoices versus all voices. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kirkus has changed um, first in the children's and YA uh, departments to really trying to get as close to own voices 100% of the time as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're pretty close. Um, and so that just means that if a um, middle grade novel uh, features, um, you know, Latinx characters um, who um, don't have that story that sometimes we see about crossing the border, you know, it's a just an American family who is made of Latinx members, um, we try to find a reviewer who matches that category because there's this sense that um, the culture that is um, depicted in that middle grade novel, it's important that it's judged by someone who has also been a part of that. Now, there's this other side of that, that one of the reasons that we read fiction in the first place, or even nonfiction, really, Mm -hmm. is because we want to experience lives that are not like our own. Mm -hmm. And that is a very valid, you know, look um, at this debate also. So Kyrgyz doesn't have the answers to those. um, But we are trying to ensure that um, our assessment of a diverse book is as accurate and as thoughtful as it can be. I get what you're saying, and I, I'm sympathetic to it uh-huh. in a yeah. lot of ways. But you don't tell you. No, I think we're at an unresolved state of the conversation because this part of the conversation is actually really new. Yeah. And I think social media is one of the things that has gotten us to this point. Right. Previously, you would have a, what might be described as a spasm about diversity every five or six years. Right. There needs to be more diversity, and then the right. conversation will go away. Again, going mm-hmm. back to that old model of there's seven places where we talk about this, right. and we probably don't even talk about it, and the conversation would just die down. Right. The virtue or danger of social media now, or the, the revolution of it, is that we can't yeah. just let it subsume. We have to have a continuing discussion about this. It's not going away this time. It's not going away. So that leads us to a more interesting, deeper, richer, more pointed, more mm-hmm. dangerous, more mm-hmm. inconvenient set of conversations yeah. that I wonder what the unintended consequences are mm-hmm. of this. I guess an example I have in my head is that if we proceed to, because I'm absolutely not an essentialist. Uh-huh. Absolutely not. Right. Um, I wonder sometimes who would be the reviewer for the book form of Hamilton if that started as a book. Right. And I have had other authors of co- and I'm not defending the right of white people to write lives of color. I'm right. not. Because, right. I mean, come on. Yeah. But I'm interested in the reverse. Do we shut mm. down the mm-hmm. ability of writers of color to write about white characters yeah. i'm specifically thinking of a project that a few years ago that was coming up a uh, a writer of color wanted to write about the childhood of an american president mm-hmm. who was not named barack obama right and wanted to write a middle grade novel about the childhood of this character i'm like right. well 
can we do that? Yeah. Are we going to a place where that's not possible? Can we be careful? Can we be, and even in reviewing. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I mean, you're right. A writer of color who wants to write a children's book about, um, you know, someone who's not a Brock. I don't know. They have one choice. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really unfair. I mean, yeah. my basic feeling, and I think the feeling of the other editors at Kirkus is that a writer should be able to write about whoever and whatever they want. Yes. Um, there are ways to do that if you are writing cross-culturally mm-hmm. that maybe you need to pay attention to. Yes. And this whole question of since, like, there's different terms for it, but sensitivity reader is one term. You know, I've seen all kinds of stuff online on social media about, and, you know, I have to say it's mostly white writers being outraged when it is suggested to them that maybe they should hire a sensitivity reader you know, th- this is not some kind of a judgment on your ability as a writer or the insight that we all love writers uh-huh. to have to hire a sensitivity no. reader. Um, it, it just means that the book is going to be more comprehensive and more thoughtful. I, I do not disagree with that because I am one who thinks, well, and there's no good way to say this, so I'm just going to use this phraseology and maybe I'll come up with something better. Mm-hmm. I When I see social political failures yeah. in a book, as in it's failing to account for the culture it wants to write about correctly. Right. That, to me, is a literary failure. Yeah. It's a failure of imagination. Yes. Um, because writing cross-culturally does require imagination. Um, but, you know, it also requires homework. Yes. And, you know, trying to imagine the experience of someone who is not like you. That's great. Do your literary duty by imagining that, but also do your homework. You know? Yes. There is a, a Prince winner of several years ago where it was a net. I really I hate this book. <laughs> oh, no. I, I, we'll just put it out there right now. I bleep expletive <laughs> because it's rated everyone this podcast. Yeah. Bleep expletive. <laughs> hate this book. Hated it from the first day I read anything of it. Yeah. And it won a Prince. And I'm like, listeners, Whoa. she hated it. Oh. <laughs> Look, I am editing myself. Uh, and I remember, you know, there's a whole bunch of discussions to be had about how, you know, the children's book world and then why book world works with among the gatekeepers. But I'm like, oh, I'm not surprised that has an award. He is a very attractive white man with floppy hair. Uh-huh. And I remember, uh, I think it might be almost the last Prince Award ceremony I attended because I listened to the speech carefully and I'm like, now I know why I hate this book. Mm-hmm. You're name-checking anti-Semites in your speech as your main resources of thinking. And I'm like, nobody else in this room just heard what I heard because they don't know those names. So I'm wondering about reviewers doing Mm -hmm. their homework as well. And it goes back a little bit to thriller writers Mm -hmm. knowing about thrillers. Experts in African-American fiction, whether they are African-American themselves or not, knowing about that yeah literary tradition you know it it's a tough world for reviewers now um and this is a cultural wave it's not just happening in books we should say oh yeah film and you know um certainly visual art i think but we do expect them to look beyond what's on the page to you know how is this going to book if it's by a white writer with african-american characters what are african-american readers going to think about the book you know, yeah. I mean, there, there is more that we ask of reviewers, um, but it's all in the name of fairness that, you know, different diversity constituencies 
are represented thoughtfully and accurately. And it could be said that there was not fairness before mm-hmm. in the sense that these writers were getting passed yeah, I mean, by no, not having culturally competent reviewers, Yeah, whatever their physical background. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, totally a pass. People just didn't question them. Editors, critics, all of us in the ecology of publishing didn't question them. And we should also say that, you know, a white writer who, let's say, I don't know, um, in 1969, a year after Martin Luther King was assassinated, wanted to write a picture book um, memorializing Martin Luther King Jr., you know, that is done with very good intention. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no one is saying you shouldn't do that, uh, particularly at the time. But, like, do it with forethought and some compassion uh, that you're writing across cultural. Yes. And there are ways to do this and ways to do it well, but be... As I say to my editor friends, put your big girl pants on. You sent this book out into the world. People are going to read it. Right. (laughs) Not always going to love it like you do. Right. Uh, Clay, thank you so very much for being with us today. Is there anything else you would like our listeners to know about Kirkus and what's going on? Um, Well, be sure to pay attention. Starting at the end of the year, November 15th issue is the first issue that we announced the best books of the year. Come on, best books! Um, Pick all mine! Yeah. So November 15th issue is Fiction and Children's, Mm -hmm. which is Fiction Book and Middle Grade for us. And then December 1st is Nonfiction and Teen. And these will be excellent choices for holiday stocking stuffers, no matter what holiday you choose to observe. That is correct. So... The website is quite fun at the end of the year because there's just so many choices. Well, thank you very much, Clay Smith, Editor-in-Chief of Kirkus Reviews. And I have been Victoria Stapleton, Director of School and Library Marketing at Little Brown Books for Young Readers. And you have been listening to the Little Brown School and Library Podcast. I do encourage you to listen to Fully Booked, which is the Kirkus Reviews Podcast. Mm, it is fun and informational. Now... Clay and I are going to stop recording because I am going to need to figure out what bribe I need to send to get a Kirkus Prize finalist. <laughs> and we'll leave it right there. Yeah. <laughs>